everyone, and welcome to another episode of Catching Up on Crime. This is Melinda coming to you from Iowa. My name's Jenna, and I'm coming to you from Chicago, but I'm currently living at my sister's because I'm moving to Arizona. So my whole life is in this little basement bedroom right now. It's been crazy. I mean, this is a this episode's going to be a little different because my mom is going to be talking about a case again, which if you guys listened to our last episode, it was her turn then too. But I just, with packing and still working and shipping my stuff off to Phoenix, I have been like crazy busy. So we thought, you know, my mom could do the research again. And uh, yeah, sorry, mom, you had to do all the homework again. That's okay. I like how you say your whole life is in this little bedroom when I think your whole life is really in a little tiny trailer oh, traveling down the road gosh. right now. It Don't was wild. <laughs> yes. I, so I shipped all my stuff using like a shipping container and my brother-in-law helped me put all the big stuff in and then they left. And so I, I had to, you know, fill it up with my little things and it wasn't like completely full, but when I sent the picture to the, my mover, the guy who's going to come move it, um, there were a lot of surprised emojis sent. So I guess I did fill it pretty full. And well, it was pretty tiny. I, I mean, I knew it wasn't yeah. going to be big, but when you sent the picture, I was like, that's really small. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to fit a one bedroom, which is insane because that must just only be furniture because you could not fit more than a bed, a couch, and a couple tables in there. Can you imagine if that trailer got hit? <laughs> well, I bought insurance. You best bet I bought insurance. But I can just see all of Jenna's possessions, all her Michael Kors clothing and purses and bags and shoes spread out on the highway. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I think that's funny. Actually, you know what is funny though? When I was kind of moving in, in here into my sister and her husband's house, um, I lived here for like two months. What was that? A couple of years ago for the summer. And so I moved here from my college apartment and I put all my clothes in the closet and I put all my shoes on top of the like little shelf that they had in there. And I like literally like maybe just placed one more hanger on there, turned around and the entire thing fell down. So um, like the pole that was holding all the hangers was ripped out of the wall and I remember just sitting here staring at this like oh Will's gonna kill me and I remember getting that call from your sister uh, I just I just sat here and stared at it for a while I walked up and then I walked upstairs and I remember one of them I don't know who it was was like what's that noise and I'm like well the closet just fell it just broke and they're like what do you mean and they come down and it was like oh good goodness but Willie was like you can't use the closet <laughs> <laughs> this time around that's what he said you're not allowed to use the closet well it's yeah yeah but I was walking around my apartment thinking oh my gosh like I'm gonna have so much room in my jeep there's not even you know there's not a lot of stuff here and it took me three trips to bring it all to my sisters so now I've got to like really figure out what I'm going to leave here. And you know, that's not easy for me, mom. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, maybe you should do a shout out for everyone to check out all your clothes for sale because oh. you've got yeah, a I'm lot. Selling, <laughs> I'm selling a bunch of clothes um, on my Instagram 
You're probably is, selling twice the amount of clothes that I even own. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot. And I've sold a lot already, but it's I am going excessive. to repost what's available. Uh, yeah, well, and if you think about that, it's not all my clothes. <laughs> I definitely have over that times four of actual clothing and who I am. Did I say it's a little excessive? <laughs> I know. Like that's the first step, right? First step to anything is admitting it. <laughs> um, yes, but I, what's her name? Marie Kondo, right? Oh, yeah. I Marie Kondo the heck out of my wardrobes. Um, now, how does that thinking? work? Like you really picked up every article and said, does this bring me joy? No, I said, did I wear this in the last year? Kind of hard when you like a piece of clothing and you're like, Ugh. but yeah, so now I'm going through my stuff for like the 14th time. Thankfully, I have a friend driving up with me to Phoenix because it's a 26 hour drive. So it's not something I want to do by myself. So my amazing friend Simone is going to co-pilot with me. So that means I've got myself, Simone and my dog Basil in the car. And let's just say right now I can barely fit myself. So I've got to figure that out, but I'll make it work. I have to. So, but that's been my life for the past like two weeks. So yeah, so that's why mom, you get to share another um, case with us. But mom, I had to stop myself from calling you at least three times over the last like two days because I just finished the Netflix show. did call me. I did call you. you. And then I said, I called her and on the second ring, I'm like, no, I'm going to save it for the podcast because I just finished the limited series, um, The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez. And it was insane. It's about a little boy that is abused for a long time. And there's a lot of documented history of abuse. And eventually he's beaten to death. What's so crazy about this trial, though, is it's the first time that they've pushed for the death penalty for the abusers. And it's also the first time that they have had a trial for the social workers. There's four social workers that were having charges pressed against them. So, mom, I think you would not enjoy is a hard word because, um, you know, we've we've had we've been on that side of social work, you know, where we had foster children and stuff. But then it's like to hear the things that happened to this boy and to know that someone knew and didn't do anything is just mind blowing. I mean, what was done to this boy is just so horrific. It's so sad. And I haven't watched something that hit me that hard. So I would say I would not suggest this to anyone that's like maybe sensitive or especially towards child abuse because it is really tough to watch. You're all the way through it. Yes, I finished it a couple nights ago. And let's just say I definitely needed Basil to cuddle that night because I was, it's very sad. It's sad. I have yeah. started it and, and it took me a while because of that. Like I don't do well with child abuse cases because I, I just don't understand it. I, I yeah. don't get it. Do somewhat understand how somebody can snap and something can happen. Right. It, it's not good or justified in any means, but I, I can at least understand that the ongoing right. abuse in this case. And like, I just started, like I said, I'm on like episode two and so far I have so many more questions. No. And Ooh. they do come back and talk about a lot of things that you hear first. I can't wait till you watch it. Cause I don't want to spoil anything, but there's just so much to just like 
digest. And I was watching it with Alicia, um, my sister, and child abuse situations like that are hard to listen to because it is so unfathomable. It is just so hard to believe that there are parents out there. What this poor boy went through, it's not normal. It's not even close to like most child abuse situations. And And he starts out growing up with uncles and then like grandparents. Why didn't Mm -hmm. she just bring him back? She said she hated him or he hated him or something. Okay, well then let someone else raise this kid. Let somebody else do it. What was also crazy is um, social workers have a lot of cases in LA and LA has... You mean like each caseworker has a lot of cases? No, like no, in just total. overall. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's funny is, it's not funny, but I was just kind of looking up, I think they had said in there something about some serial killer from LA, something I don't even know how it was got brought up. But so then I kind of like, you know, did my typical research and I found so, so many like murders and even just serial killers in LA. Like that county for some reason just has a lot of crime. So moral of the story, you can live in Chicago, you can live in Arizona, but you cannot live in LA. Um, I don't want to, I never want to say never, but it's not the plan. So. Well, that's good to hear. All right. Should we get to the today's story? Yeah, I'm excited to hear what you've, uh, what you've got to share. All right, Jenna, well, let's catch up on some crime. Okay, so Jenna, I just want to start out saying that this is a very difficult story or case for me to tell because I don't really want to tell it. I don't like that it is even out there for me to tell. However, I just felt led to tell it over and over again. As I listened to Serial Season 3, I found myself outraged so many times and found myself searching for some answers or at least some reasons for things to go so wrong in a justice system. So season three of Serial is all about different cases and different people in the Cleveland, Ohio justice system. When all was said and done, I felt I needed to tell about two cases, but more about the man, the police officer who caused the injustices. The reason I didn't want to tell this story is, as most of you should know, I am 110% in support of the police officers and in no means am I part of this anti-police culture. Just as with any profession or people in general, there are many good ones and there are some bad ones. However, in this profession, where they are to protect and serve the people, I don't believe we can tolerate bad ones, so when they come to light, we cannot sit back and make excuses for them, which is what I think has happened a little bit in this case. So to all the police officers out there, I know you have a difficult job and I cannot even imagine the split second decisions you have to make to save others' lives as well as your own. I respect you and I thank you. My sources for today's episode are, of course, Serial, Season 3, News 5 Cleveland, NKYC Channel 3 Cleveland, and The Cleveland Scene. And with that, here's the story of Aramis Spencer and Richard Hubbard III. Michael Amiot joined the Usulid, Ohio Police Department in September of 2014. Usulid is a suburb of Cleveland. So this was five months after he resigned from the nearby city of Mentor, Mentor's Police Department. 
However, he was forced to resign rather than be fired after the department found out that he had lied about why he stopped a man for a suspended license violation and making a false statement in a police record. In December of 2016, Officer Michael Amiot and Officer Shane Riviera were working off-duty as security at Aramis Spencer's apartment building. They saw Aramis knocking on an apartment door and nobody answered. Now, even though they were off-duty, they are still in full uniform and have full officer's powers. Apparently, this is a common thing around there. I don't know really how they get by with that, but yeah, like I said, it's common. The two officers stopped Aramis to ask him some basic questions, and Aramis agreed to a pat-down or a search for a weapon, which Aramis did not have. Officer Amiot did, however, find marijuana in the form of a blunt in Aramis's pocket and told Aramis that he was under arrest. Aramis, not knowing what he was being arrested for, protested and asked why he was being arrested. So you might wonder, I just said he was being arrested for marijuana. However, most places in Ohio follow the Ohio state law in which less than a gram of marijuana is not a reason for arresting someone as it is just a misdemeanor offense. Now you can get a ticket for it, but you usually don't get arrested. This is what Aramis was thinking. However, in Usulid, where they were, one can get arrested for any amount of marijuana as they did not go by the state law, they went by their own. Just over in Cleveland, where Aramis is actually from, he is correct, he would not have been arrested. The situation quickly escalated and officer Amiot kneed Aramis in the groin, threw him to the ground, kicked him in the face and tased him several times. Aramis cried out for help and asked the other officer to stop this beating. Aramis was treated in the hospital for a broken orbital bone in his face. It was so bad that the Usulid ER transferred him to the Cleveland hospital to make sure that his eye was all right. Now I will post pictures on my Facebook page and on our Instagram so you can see the bruises and swollenness of Aramis's face. To top all this off, while in the hospital, Officer Amiat told the treating doctors and nurses they were not to take off the handcuffs. So Aramis remained handcuffed to his bed in the hospital for two hours. Officer Amiat would cite Aramis for drug possession, resisting arrest, theft for trying to grab his taser, and criminally damaging property because Officer Amiat stated his sunglasses broke during the encounter. So I'm going to repeat that. Officer Amiot, who is an officer of the law, just cited someone for damaging property for his sunglasses getting broke. In a hearing that Aramis requested to suppress some of the evidence, Officer Amiot and Riviera testified that they noticed Aramis knocking on the door, and basically this gave them probable cause to search him. So somehow it has now become illegal or suspicious behavior to knock on your neighbor's door. Officer Amiat testified that he could smell the odor of marijuana coming from Aramis, so this gave him probable cause to search him. So let's go back a little. This was less than a gram of marijuana, like I said. It was in a Ziploc bag in Aramis's pocket. I don't know about many of you, but I don't believe a person has the ability to smell that small of amount of marijuana that is in a bag in someone's pocket. It must have been some really loud weed. <laughs> yeah. At the end of his hearing, Officer Amiat's attorney stated that Amiat noticed a bulge in Aramis's pocket, and that is when he found the marijuana. First of all, we have a lot of reasons coming out of why they searched Aramis, and none of them ring true. Again, I don't know about any of you, but I don't believe that one blunt in a small baggie 
is going to make a bulge in anyone's pocket. Furthermore, the statement was that the bulge could have been a weapon, so the officer had the right for his safety to search Aramis. Again, one blunt is not a bulge that could be mistaken as a weapon. Aramis's attorney objected, as this was the first time they were hearing anything about this bulge in the pocket. The judge ultimately overruled this objection. Aramis' case against the city seemed to kind of stall and really go nowhere for a while. Aramis's attorneys tried different strategies, but when you're dealing with officers that are not truthful and have their own version of what happened, it's really hard to go forward. Now, I understand that the justice system has many different roles. There's the defending attorneys, there's the prosecuting attorneys, there's the police officers, there's the judges, and many more. And I know in order for it to work, that system of people have to believe in each other. And so what happened here appears to be that the judge, the attorneys, other than the defending attorneys, just believe these officers and what they said. And why wouldn't they? They should be able to. So the city eventually hired a special prosecutor and the first three charges that Emerus Spencer was charged with by Officer Amiot were dropped in September of 2017. He did then pay a fine for the drug charge. It wasn't really until there was a video that surfaced of Officer Amiot involved in another matter that Aramis Spencer's case kind of was pushed forward then. That particular case is what we're going to talk about next. Aramis Spencer was awarded a $40,000 settlement. The city and the officers admitted no liability, and they stated that the payment was made for the intent to terminate any further controversy related to this matter. On August 12, 2017, Officer Amiat and Officer Matt Gilmer stopped Richard Hubble III in a routine traffic stop. The officers ordered him to get out of the car and face away from them so they could arrest him. Richard got out of the car, but didn't that first of all routine. I feel like that's always, you always hear that routine traffic stop. Like, what does that even mean? A red light or something like they did something. They, they did something wrong. The driver. Right. They violated a normal traffic speeding, going through a stop sign, something that's just normal. Well, yeah, but, you know, you hear, I always thought routine traffic stops were like, oh, I'm just going to make this, you know, I'm just going to, for no reason. Well, I think they sometimes they can, I guess, I don't, you know, I don't want to say this about most police officers again, but I think there are times when they just make up routine traffic stops to see once what else wanna, is in there. There's like some stereotype that they want to, okay. Right. So okay. again, the officers ordered him to get out of the car and face away from them so that they could arrest him. This is part that I don't really understand is, is they're arresting him right away, but, you know, maybe there's more to that than, than we know. But anyway, Richard got out of the car, but did not face away from him right away. And Officer Amiat is seen in not only one, but two videos slamming Hubbard on the ground, grabbing his neck and punching him in the head several times. There was a bystander who captured video of Amiat repeatedly punching Hubbard in the face while he was on the ground. The other video actually came from the police dash cam. At some point, a second officer used a stun gun on Hubbard, but also accidentally hit his partner with the stun gun. 
it sounds yeah kind of like a mess but again this is all on video and i will put that video on our facebook page as well if i kind of go back to that they told him to face away from them so they could arrest him and he didn't he stated that he didn't understand that they wanted him to face away and in the video it is like a split second that he didn't face away it's it's like if you watched it without that commentary you wouldn't even think he was richard was charged with resisting arrest driving without a license and a traffic violation these charges were later all dropped the mayor came out and stated quote the video was shocking and disturbing end quote the aslu stated quote it was a disgusting show of force end quote however chief jim bearfield who is supposed to be an expert on excessive force stated officers are trained to quote not to have deadly hesitation end quote he further stated the u.s supreme court graham versus connor which is a 1989 case quoting use of force is determined by the officer's perspective end quote richard filed a federal civil rights lawsuit against amiat the city of Vuselid, and two other officers involved in the arrest this lawsuit is still pending in the U.S. District Court of the Northern District of Ohio. Other disciplinary action against Officer Amiot include being involved in two crashes, one in 2015 and one in 2017. In May of 2015, he lost a suspect's cell phone while gathering evidence, and in 2016, he hit a suspect with a gun. He was given a written reprimand after hitting the suspect for mouthing off to his superiors and for the two crashes. He was given only an oral reprimand after the loss of the phone. Channel 5 News did an investigation called Usulid's Use of Force Serious <clears throat> Red Flags. This investigation revealed Officer Amiat was involved in a total of 17 use of force incidents between January of 2016 and June of 2018. Officer Amiat was first suspended for 15 days and then suspended for 30 days and then ultimately fired on October 13th of 2017 due to the excessive force and extreme violence shown to Richard Hubbard III. Mayor Kirsten Gale is ultimately responsible for the firing of Officer Amiot. She is quoted saying, quote, After review, I found Amiot to have violated additional departmental rules, including conduct unbecoming and courtesy, calling into question his suitability as a USALID police officer. As mayor and public safety director, it is my responsibility to ensure that the USALID Police Department serves the public professionally, courteously, and consciously, end quote. However, after an arbitrator ruled USALID did not have just cause to terminate Amiot, the city of USALID will rehire police officer Michael Amiot. The Cleveland scene states, quote, Amiot's rehire shows any punishment for police officers is temporary. There's virtually nothing an officer can do that will result in any meaningful consequences, end quote. So Amiot will rejoin the USALID Ohio Police Force with the following conditions. He will complete 80 hours of in-class training. He will have 60 to 90 days of additional field training. He can have no side jobs during this probation, and he was removed from the EDGE tactical team. Not only will he be rehired back, but he was also awarded back pay and had a 30-day suspension overturned. So basically, he was rewarded for being fired. Right. So he basically got a vacation because then he ultimately yeah. got paid for it. Yeah. <sighs> Ridiculous. And I really tried hard to find out what this arbitrator 
what that meant and what that consisted of, but I couldn't find anything that said if it was one person, if it was more than one person, why they said they didn't have just cause. I, I couldn't find any of that because clearly if you watch the video, you will find that any normal person would say that was excessive force. So almost two years after the assault on Richard Hubbard III, Amiot was charged with two counts of a misdemeanor assault and one count of interfering with civil rights. On November 19, 2019, he requested a change in venue stating, there has been too much media coverage. The prosecution argued against a change in venue stating, quote, the reality of the matter is that there are hundreds of millions of people who can Google the words Amiot, Usalid, video, or some variation thereof on their smartphone or computer and immediately watch the video or read any number of news stories about this incident. It is inevitable the story will appear in Cleveland area media, also media outlets of wherever the case is moved. At that time, any person with a smartphone or computer, especially in the new jurisdiction, would be able to watch the video in an instant, end quote. I thought that was very interesting because in this day and age, that is going to be so true. You know, they do a change of venue because they think the jury pool has been tampered with or, you know, they know too much about the case and they want it to go to a different county where people don't know as much about it. But like that quote says from the prosecution, there's too much media, there's too much social media, we're never going to get away with that anymore. You're not going to be able to move this case or any other high profile cases to a different county and, and have them not know about it or have not heard about it. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I think I was actually kind of hit with that reality a few years ago and it was like nothing bad, obviously, but I had started a Twitter when I was younger and just didn't use it. And then I think I kind of forgot about it. And so I started my own Twitter a few years later and then I realized I had this old Twitter still. So I tried to get rid of it, but I no longer had the email. I was like straight up in a battle with Twitter, like emailing them, asking them to please, because it had like old photos, just really, you know, I was young. They're kind of embarrassing, you know, <laughs> like like selfies and stuff. They wouldn't take it down because they didn't believe that it was me. And so like, there's still this old Twitter. I can't do anything about it. It'll always be there. You know what I mean? And so it's still was, out there? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, the internet is so permanent and it's not on your side. <laughs> like, you know, it's. Right. Even if you delete something, you know, like this video is out there of this police officer and, and no matter how many people delete it or whatever happens, it's still going to be out there for people to see. Somebody can get a hold of it. It's, it's never going to be gone. That is going to play a role in trials to come because anything that's put out there. I also think in this case, it reminds us that people are always watching. So we do have this officer's oh, yeah. dash cam but we also have the bystander who videoed it. And this is the video, Jenna, if you remember, where you can hear the little boy in the background saying to his mom, mom, what are they doing to that guy? Or why are they doing that to that guy? Do you remember that? No. I, I remember seeing that on the news because that was a huge thing of, you know, not only are these officers doing this, I guess, but they're doing it in front of all these people who have the potential to have you know, 10 videos of it really, but they're also doing it in front of kids. And we try to teach kids to respect others and to respect authority and to respect police. And this little guy, this is what he saw at a very young age of what a police officer is doing. Yeah. 
it definitely blows my mind when people in authority positions don't understand that they can be recorded so easily nowadays. And even like there's some videos that I've seen of situations kind of like this where they're recording someone in an authority position and they don't even care. You know, it's like, yeah, you you can video me. I don't care. And then they're so horrible. It's like, do you, so you really think that's fine? Or you really think that that's never going to come back to haunt you, you know? Yeah. And what is it? Because I have no idea. Like at the time, are they so convinced they're doing the right thing that they don't care that someone's video them? I I don't know. The trial of Officer Amiat was set for November 20 of 2019, but that was continued and no date has been set yet. Amiat was assigned to administrative duties following the announcement of these charges. So he is currently still on the police force. Yeah, he just has to do administrative duties, which I'm guessing he doesn't like, but I guess that's better than not having a job, which is what I think he should not have. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those things that, oh, he's on administrative duty, but like once this blows over and people forget about it, which they will, because that's kind of always what, what happens. He's going to be able to resume his position as if nothing ever happened. I mean, that's what I feel like always happens. Like, it's a big deal for maybe a couple weeks, a couple months, and then people just forget about it because something else happens. So when that happens, he's going to be able to slide right back in it. His, you know, active cop, I don't know what that is Duty. called. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and um, the thing is, too, is I want to believe that if he's found guilty of these charges, that he will be fired. However, the charges are two counts of misdemeanor assault and one count of interfering with civil rights. So I'm not sure if that misdemeanor assault is fireable offense because it's just a misdemeanor. Now, I don't know with the interfering with civil rights, if that has a higher standard. I want to think if a police officer is found guilty of anything of the sort that they should be fired. But in this case, I just don't know because they have a video and they still said he was fine or somebody said he was fine. In the podcast serial, Sarah Koenig says, quote, let's accept that something has gone wrong, end quote. That quote really kind of hit me because you just hear so many people on one side or the other of this. And I don't think we can be on one side or the other. Like I said at the beginning, I am pro-police. I am not against the police. That's not why I'm doing this story but I am against the police that take advantage of their power and their control. So we have to accept that something has gone wrong when it goes wrong. And in this case, particularly something went wrong and we need to make sure it's taken care of and it's not going to happen again. There are similarities between the two cases and many other excessive force cases. You will hear officers state, quote, they were moving their hands towards their waistband or they were reaching for their waistband, end quote, supposedly for weapons. And then they might say something like, they smelled of alcohol, or they smelled of marijuana. These statements give the officers suspicion and cause. The men were resisting arrest. They were yelling. They were calling out racial slurs. In both of these cases, at one point or another, they were stated that the men were reaching for their waistband. Anyway, the point is, is that officers can say these things and they're like you know like red flag words so to speak that gives them 
the opportunity to just do, you know, whatever they want to do with that. Officers are fearful for their life. They don't know if they have guns. And, and again, I get that. I don't know what that's like, but there has to be some tools or some guiding force or something that tells you what you can do. You can't just say that about everybody. Okay, people, all I have to say is these are horrible cases of excessive force on a person for less than one gram of marijuana in the first case and for driving while suspended in the second. I am not condoning even these violations of law, but they do not justify what happened to these men. I think we can do better. I think we must do better. If you are a police officer and you cannot handle being yelled at or called names without throwing punches, you are in the wrong profession. If you are stopped by a police officer, do not run, show your hands and keep them visible, be polite, and tell an officer what you are doing if you are reaching for something. This way, we can all stay safe. Yeah, that was a good one. That's something we haven't uh, done before. There's an episode of Criminal that I just listened to that was similar to this. Like, it was about they opened fire on a man, and the police officer said that he was just walking through his neighborhood, and they said that he had a gun and that he shot first, and that then the police officer opened fire and shot him three times. But witnesses said there was only three shots, not four. There were only three shell casings found, not four. And that guy's gun was never found. It's scary that people who are supposed to protect you, sometimes, you know, there's rotten apples. And they're not in that profession to protect you. They're in that profession for power. And it's also scary that then people in this country are hate police officers and are completely against them, you know, and because most of them are there to protect and serve. Well, and I would agree with that completely. Most officers are there for the right reason to protect and to serve. And I don't want to believe that these officers started out like this. I, I don't know. But what really just struck me about this case is the fact that not only did he do it, but then we have a system that is saying it's okay for him to do it. Right. We have a chief, Jim Barfield, who, you know, is supposed to be this, he's, he's training officers on a sec excessive force. And then he says, his other quote of use of force is determined by the officer's perspective. I just don't buy that. We have to have justifications. We can't just say, well, whatever the officer felt is what he felt. And then that's right. Yeah. I just found the episode. It's episode 111, Sylvan Simmons. I remember I kind of liked this episode because she, Phoebe Judge, talks to him. And so he gets to give his side of the story. And I enjoy Criminal because they're really easy podcasts to list episodes to listen to. They're usually only about 30 minutes. And I think that Phoebe Judge just has like the most soothing voice. And I don't know. I just love how she talks. So you said that she like interviews this guy? Yeah, so she talks to this man, Sylvan Simmons, about what happened. And like in the, you know, she gives little descriptions. She doesn't give descriptions for her episodes, but she gives like little snippets. And the snippet is, my first instinct, to be honest, was that they shot this guy and now there's a cover up. And that was a quote by a public defender. I, I just thought that was interesting because you said that he could tell his side of the story because, again, one of the serial quotes, I'm not going to get it verbatim, Sarah Koenig says that they don't ever get to tell their side. You know, like in the case of Aramis, it was so clear that these two officers were lying 
on the stand, yet the judge didn't care, didn't notice, didn't want to notice. I don't know. And so they never get to tell their side. They don't feel like they're heard. And again, I think that's kind of why we do our podcast is so people can be heard. Okay, well, after that case uh, beautifully explained to us, I thought that um, I actually brought this idea up to my mom, I think almost when we started talking about a podcast, but we just weren't sure if we needed it. But I've also asked some of my friends that listen to the podcast, so we have decided to bring a new segment into the podcast. I don't really know if it has a name yet, but basically we thought it would be fun to end end our podcast with um, a story of crime, but something kind of funny and lighthearted and, and more of like a joke. And with everything going on, I thought what better time than to have a little laughter than now. So this week we're going to be starting um, our like silly criminal stories at the end. I found this one. It took me a while because I wanted a good one, but I, I love this. It's our this. first one, so it has to yes. be really, really good. And um, this one is actually in my opinion, kind of cute. <laughs> okay, so I got this from bbc.com. And I love it, British stories. I know. Can you do it in a British accent? I can. <laughs> no, I absolutely <laughs> cannot. Okay, so our first silly criminal story, and uh, it took place in Australia. So on the 14th of April, Rice Owen Jones, 21, and Carrie Mules, 20, from South Wales. We're having a night out in Australia. They were uh, there on a working visa. So they were drinking and just having some fun. And the friends decided that they were going to break into SeaWorld. They did so. They got into the animal park allegedly with an 18-year-old Australian man, both after attending a beach party. The two swam with the dolphins and let off a fire extinguisher in the shark enclosure and really just had a great time in, in their SeaWorld. However, their prank, we're told, it could have seen them end up in a morgue. The two Welshmen also admitted to snatching a seven-year-old fairy penguin called Dirk from an aquarium before waking up with the flightless bird in their apartment the following day. So they went to SeaWorld, had a great time. They left, they went home, and they woke up with a bird, a penguin, in their apartment. The friend's legal representatives told Southport Magistrates Court they meant no harm to the animal. They tried to care for it by feeding it and putting it in the shower when they woke up with hangovers. This is all in the article. <laughs> they later released Please tell Dirk. me that the bird was okay, though. Yeah, it's, it ends very well. It, it ends well. I just like, can you imagine these, these two hungover guys trying to shower a penguin? Like, and what makes them think the penguin needed a shower? <laughs> Well, because he needed to be wet. <laughs> They're like, we're hungover. Dirk's probably a little hungover. We're going to make sure that we all get showers. So then they, they didn't know what to do with the penguin. Apparently, nobody had caught them for breaking into SeaWorld. So they decided they were going to release Dirk into a canal. So I started to get a little angry at this part because I don't know if you've ever heard stories about people that, you know, like will put a bunch of goldfish in um, like the ocean or... A lot of people like mess with turtles yeah, that, that are right. So they'll see a turtle and it's by no ill will, but a lot of people will see a turtle and especially like in Florida and stuff. And they might go put it in a lake or in the ocean, whereas it's actually not a saltwater turtle and they'll right. die. And so at first I was like, Oh no, this is where it goes bad. But they were spotted by locals and the locals called the police. 
uh, when they were trying to release the penguin into the canal. So uh, it's a penguin. Dur- it needs cold. Did they not know that? <laughs> I think they were just I still mean, drunk. Twenty and twenty-one, probably. So Dirk was later rescued and returned to SeaWorld unharmed before being reunited with partner Peaches. Oh, that's <laughs> so cute. cute. The two Welshmen admitted to snatching the the penguin, and they admitted to uh, theft and, and and trespassing, pleaded guilty to trespassing and stealing and keeping a protected animal. It just gets, uh, I just love this. So then the magistrate Brian Knox was told the tourist actions were immature and stupid, but there was no malice involved. So they weren't like trying to even, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't sound like they were trying to even trash SeaWorld. They just broke in and wanted to have some fun and ended up with a penguin. So they also wrote a letter of apology to SeaWorld and the Australian public and how they deeply regretted their actions. I think it's Mr. Cux actually decided to uh, accept an appeal and not to record convictions against the pair. And he just fined them a thousand Australian dollars each. <laughs> he said, you could have found yourselves in a morgue if you'd gone in the wrong enclosure. Perhaps next time you are at a party, you will consider drinking a little less vodka. <laughs> That's well, it. I guess of all places <laughs> to break into, that's where I'd want to break in. I mean, how much fun could that be? I mean... I don't necessarily support SeaWorld, but I do love all the animals in SeaWorld. So I think I would have had a really good time there too. And I don't know. I just think that's so funny. Even just how they're like, all right, we're going to find a slap on the wrist and next time drink less vodka. Good but. advice. I don't know. It'd take an awful lot of vodka to make me break into SeaWorld though. I break into any. Um, yes. I, so I think that uh, when we post this on our Facebook and Instagram and wherever we post this on our socials on the very last slide, I'll, I'll include a picture of Dirk happily and safe in SeaWorld for all of you guys. Yes. Because that's what I thought that was a cute, you know, there's lots of dumb, dumb criminal stories. Like how could you think that now could you do that? But I thought this one was just kind of cute. Definitely made me smile. So, well, because I think it is fun to think of, have you ever thought of all the pets? I mean, they weren't thinking that way, but to have a pet penguin, that'd be kind of awesome. Oh, I've considered having pets of, any sort of kind. Well, that's good. That's a good way to end our podcast. Yeah. So if that, I feel like people have got to know silly stories firsthanded or heard them and been like, oh gosh, that is hilarious. So if you, any of our listeners have heard or know of any silly criminal stories, I would love to hear them. And then we can end our podcast with better yet. If you are the perpetrator of (laughs) a silly, stupid story, then I really want to hear from you. I want to hear firsthand what happened here. <laughs> you can tell us your name. We'll keep it anonymous on the podcast. Maybe. All right. All right. Well, well, it was a good podcast, Jenna. And I guess we'll see you, everyone in a couple weeks. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Bye.